Welcome again to this uh, special series that I've called Living in the Reality of Perfect Sanctification. I'm Mark Van Oos, your teacher, and uh, we are in the third installment of this series, and today's installment is titled Living in the Reality of Perfect Sanctification Right Now. As we begin, I have two important things to say. First, I want to issue a challenge. I want to challenge you personally to do as I have done and study every single instance of the word sanctification or its related words of sanctify, sanctified, etc. in the Bible, particularly the New Testament. Now, my friend, the word sanctification in its different forms is a Bible word. So therefore it follows, how does the Bible use that word? Not how do we mean in the modern church what that word means, but what does the Bible mean? You know, it won't take long to see that God's use of these important words is very different from what is commonly taught on sanctification today. In fact, you'll find something far larger, more powerful, and more certain than what you thought about sanctification before. That's what I've done personally, and part of the fruit of doing so has been of increasing benefit in my own life, my own walk with the Lord. And it's also resulted in this study. Now, the second thing that I'd like to say is an important word of clarification. (laughs) When we speak of living in the reality of perfect sanctification, we are not saying that you are perfect. We are not saying that you are sinless. Here's what we are saying. We're saying that Jesus is perfect, both in his person and in his perfect work already done. We are saying that Jesus is sinless. We're saying that everything that we have from the Lord is not based on our good performance or sinlessness. We're also saying that everything that we have from the Lord is based on Jesus' perfectly good performance and sinlessness. As we said in the previous uh, lesson, uh, you have perfect sanctification right now and forever because of Jesus Christ's perfect and uh, performance and person. You're going to hear this theme over and over and over again. Jesus' perfect person, who he is, and the perfection of all that he is, and his perfect performance. That is the basis not only for sanctification, it's also the basis for all of our Christian life as well. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, it says, speaking of the Lord Jesus, for by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. My dear friend, that should settle it. That should nail it right there. Jesus has by one offering, and that was the offering of himself, perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Again, check that out in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. I am not teaching perfectionism as in you being perfect. I'm teaching what the Bible teaches. A perfect Savior giving us a perfect and complete salvation. This uh, reminds me of one of the sort of signature verses in the book of Hebrews, which if I could nail what Hebrews is all about, it is about the new covenant and the 
perfect person of the new covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his perfect finished work. And in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, we have this. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Now that phrase, such a great salvation, is unpacked in the book of Hebrews. And there is a danger of us sort of ignoring it, sort of glossing over it, going, well, yeah, I know that, but. You know, we can't have a lackadaisical attitude toward a clear focus on Jesus and who he is in his perfect person and who he is in this perfect salvation. Jesus is indeed a perfect Savior. Therefore, the perfect work of sanctification has been done to you already in Christ because Jesus, who is perfect, did a perfect work one time for all time for you. When you see that phrase there in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, or in other places in Hebrews chapter 10 where it says once for all, what that means is once for all time. Now, my friend, we are still and always will be fully sanctified because of Jesus, our sanctification, and his finished work. This is not based on our performance, but on Jesus Christ's perfect performance already done. 2 Corinthians 1.30. Let me just give you several verses uh, that speak to that. 2 Corinthians 1.30, 1 Corinthians 6.11b, Hebrews 2.11, Hebrews 10.9 and 10, and Hebrews 10.14. Let's just focus on one of those passages, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Speaking of the Lord Jesus, then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first covenant that he may establish the second covenant. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, note that we have been sanctified. Why? Because of Christ's I will. He said, I'll do it, Father. Secondly, his once-for-all offering of his body. Now, may I ask you, is there anything lacking in Christ's will to do what is right? No. Is anything lacking in Christ's perfect once-for-all offering of his body? No. Religion makes Jesus' perfect work and sacrifice incomplete and then claims that we have to do something, many things, to make it complete. You see, real Bible truth says that Jesus has done it all. It is finished. It is done. It is all of grace. I've heard people say that... uh, Uh, sanctification is not like justification. You know, good Bible-believing Christians will readily admit that uh, our justification in Christ is perfect and complete. You can't add something to it. But then they go on to say, but sanctification isn't really like that. It's a different basis. Well, let's first of all look at our justification, and then we'll look at the basis of justification and then the basis of our sanctification. When, we, when the Bible uses the word justification, it means our right standing with God. It means the wrong status before God of being sinners, of being lawbreakers before a righteous, holy God 
is changed so that we have the same right standing with God as Jesus does. Now, why do we have full justification now? Christ himself is our justification. His perfect person and work justifies us. Romans 3.26 says, To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he, Jesus, might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, therefore our now and forever reality is fully and perfectly justified. Why? Because Jesus is is himself just, and Jesus is our justifier. You see, it's all because God is the performer of the action, not we ourselves. It says we have been justified. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 so beautifully and triumphantly declares, therefore, having been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see that? Having been justified and have peace. You see, because it's already done by God through Jesus Christ, that's our place and our standing in terms of justification. It is solid. It is complete. It's not a process. You can't add to it. Why? Because the basis is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Is our justification a process? No. We receive it all at once, at the beginning. You can't improve perfect. Are there things we do to become justified? God forbid. (laughs) You see, this is all by faith in Christ, our justifier. Now, is sanctification on the same basis as justification? Like I said a moment ago, there are people who say, yes, our justification is settled. It's not a process. You've received it complete, entire, and perfect and whole from the very beginning. You can't lose it. But then they go on to say, but sanctification really isn't the same way. But you see, let's look at things very carefully when it comes to sanctification. We've been talking an awful lot in the last lesson and even in the lesson starting today about Jesus Christ himself, God himself, as the performer of the action, right? And not we ourselves. It says we have been sanctified, as it says in Hebrews chapter 10. So why do we have full sanctification now? It's because Christ himself is our sanctification, 1 Corinthians one thirty? Now, do you see the parallel that we have over there in Romans 3.26? It says that Jesus is just and the justifier. Jesus is our justification. So how can we, therefore, our now and forever reality is that we are fully and perfectly sanctified. So how can we add to a perfect sanctification? Jesus' perfect person and work has sanctified us. That's the theme of the entire book of Hebrews. You see, just like sanctification is complete, we can't add it, it's not a process, it's already done, and it's already done by God through Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 9. I can't say this enough. He's the one who said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. And he resolutely takes away the first covenant that he may establish the second covenant. And by that will, Jesus' will, we have been, have been, have been 
sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Is our sanctification therefore a process? No. We receive it all at once, at the beginning. You can't improve perfect. Now, my friend, there's a very easy question that we should ask when we are saying things like sanctification is somehow, as the Westminster Confession of Faith says, imperfect in this life or somehow incomplete. We have to ask what the basis of it is. Is the basis Jesus plus me? Well, if that's the case, then it is indeed imperfect in this life. Very imperfect. But you see, the basis is never Jesus and me or Jesus plus anything else. It is Christ alone. So the question is, is he perfect in his person? Yes. Is he perfect in his work? Yes. As I said, you can't improve perfect. That's why we have this perfect salvation. And, and, and friend, this is all by faith in Christ. He himself is our sanctification, 1 Corinthians 1.30. In Acts chapter 26, verse 8, Jesus is speaking and commissioning the apostle Paul, and he says to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Well, by now, between what I've said to this point today and our previous lesson, it should be quite clear that we have received a perfect, complete sanctification. Now, the title of this series is Living in the Reality of Perfect Sanctification. To this point, we've been making the clear scriptural points that we indeed do have right now a perfect sanctification because of the perfect person of Jesus Christ and his perfect work already done. Now, what's the living in the reality of part of this series? Well, today, as we launch further in, we're going to be talking about what that is, living in the reality of perfect sanctification. First, you have to end the controversy in your head. You have to stop arguing and thinking, oh, it's a process, it's a process. My pastor says it's a process. Or, well, I this very famous Bible teacher says it's a process. I keep hearing it's a process. My friend, if what even your pastor is saying is contradicting what the Bible says, then you must adhere to what the Bible teaches, no matter where it takes you. You see, living in the reality of perfect sanctification isn't becoming something, becoming more sanctified. Rather, it's a walking according to. Did you get it? It's walking according to who we already are because of the perfect, complete, and finished work of Jesus Christ. It's walking in the state of holiness, sanctification, not walking so as to become more holy and more sanctified. You see, in the scriptures, the admonitions are of a walking according to. And so often today, people have seen those walking according to admonitions of the scripture, and they're confusing it to mean walking so to become. 
please understand this, the present aspect of sanctification is a calling. It is not a process, and it's not a calling to become. It's a calling to walk from. It's not a calling to become what you already are. It's a calling to walk from, out of, according to who you really are in Christ. And you know, may I say, there are many things in the New Covenant, not just the matter of sanctification, that work this way. Many things. And many Christians are deprived in the enjoyment of the full benefit of this rich salvation, of their great inheritance as sons of God now, because they think that there are things that the Bible teaches are already done, already yours, by grace, through faith in Christ. They think they don't have it. That's bad. And somehow they think that they have to do certain things to get it. That's really bad. There are many things, and those truths, you might be wondering, well, what are those other things? Go through the New Testament, everywhere it says, in Christ or in Him. These are the things that speak about what you have now, who you really are. Back to the subject of living in the reality of perfect sanctification. May I say it again? The present aspect of sanctification is a calling, not a process. And the admonitions related to sanctification call us to walk according to our full sanctification that we already have in Christ. It's walking according to who you really are in Christ, perfectly and forever sanctified. We are not becoming more holy or more sanctified. This is what is commonly taught today, but is it what the Bible says? Well, we've made it clear, and we're going to continue making it clear. No, you're not becoming more holy or more sanctified. This is a myth. This is law-based living, and this is religion. Such thinking that uh, we have yet to become more holy and more sanctified actually undermines the full, completed, and perfect work of Jesus Christ in making us sanctified, in setting us apart by his blood. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12 says, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the city gate. Hebrews 13, 12. You see, my friend, sanctification that's claimed to be a process puts man back in the equation, which turns the glory away from God to man, and God will not honor such a scheme. We are living out of our forever state of perfect, full sanctification in Christ. You see, the confusion over sanctification lies with the fact that most Christians try to live on an old covenant basis instead of enjoying the reality of the new covenant. The old covenant says, you've got to do it in order to get it. It is of works, not by faith. Now the new covenant declares Jesus already did it perfectly and forever, and it's already given to you perfectly and fully by grace. This is one of those instances of seeing things with new covenant vision rather than old covenant vision. You see, the admonitions of Scripture related to sanctification and more the the present aspect of sanctification, 
are spoken to a people who are already perfectly and forever sanctified in Christ. Let me give a really good example by looking at one of the most striking examples of this in the Scripture. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. And once again, as you're traveling there, we are looking at this as an example of walking according to perfect sanctification, not walking to become more sanctified or somehow to be sanctified. You have it, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. It says this, Do, not, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. I want to stop right there because it amazes me. Actually, it blows my mind how many people will quote that scripture and then they stop. But look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Did you notice the past already done tenses? It's by the Spirit of our God. Who did it? God did it. Can he fail? Never. You see, on the basis of sanctification already done, the Apostle Paul makes this appeal to a sexually immoral people. And and here's and we're continuing here in verse 13b. It says this, Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. All right, I want to unpack this tremendous passage one verse at a time. First of all, in verse 13b, it tells us the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. You see, your sanctified body's purpose is not for sexual immorality. It's not for sin, but it's for the Lord and the Lord for the body. That's what he's arguing. Then in verse 15, he says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? You know, he's teaching that my body is a member of Christ, belongs to Christ. Therefore, I don't take this member of Christ's body and make them members of a harlot. Then in verse 17, he says, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. This tells us that I am joined, I'm united to the Lord. I am one spirit with him. 
In verse 19, it says, and this is quite a noble thing about the body. It says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You see, there in 19a, it tells me my body is a temple. What's a temple? A holy, sacred dwelling place of God. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. 19b says, it is the Holy Spirit himself who dwells in me. 19c says that I am not my own. (laughs) I am God's. Hallelujah. Then in verse 20, it says, for you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So in verse 20a, it says that I've been bought with a price. What price was that? The blood of Jesus. 20b says, therefore, because I've been bought with that high price, price, I glorify God in my body and in my spirit. Why? Because, 20c, I belong to God. My body belongs to God. My spirit belongs to God. Now, how can this all be the case? Well, we go back to uh, verse 11 that tells us because we are. I am washed, I am sanctified, I am justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You see, my friend, if sanctification complete, whole, and perfect has not already been accomplished in me, then this entire admonition, this entire passage falls apart. The whole argument that uh, Paul gives falls apart. Saying that sanctification is something yet unfinished, even though the scripture says it is finished, and that it is something that I have yet to do, is incredibly unscriptural. It denies the finished work of Jesus Christ, and it causes people to sin. Because the opposite appeal, like 1 Corinthians chapter 6, causes people not to sin. You see, that's terrifically important. If we've got the wrong data about our sanctification, if we somehow think that it's something I got to work up, do, and, you know, whatever means of grace, if I somehow think that my sanctification is incomplete, my holiness is incomplete, my set-apartness is incomplete, that it's going to completely undermine walking in the reality of this sanctification the outliving of this truth. Again, let me say, Paul makes in frames here to a very messed up church, in fact, messed up in sexual sin and and being uh, adulterers, uh, being drunkards, being revilers and so forth, uh, being those who do those things. The whole basis is, Paul says, look, this is who you really are. You were those things but you're not anymore. What are you? What's happened to you? Again, 611, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. My friend, sin is energized and and runs on the engine of self-dependence. Let me say that again. Sin is energized and runs on the engine of self-dependence. If there is anything that looks to me or something that I have to do, 
then that actually fuels and propels sin. It does not cause sin to go away. You can't experience the victorious life if you're under some sort of notion that your salvation is just not as great as the Bible teaches it to be. If you have what I call a myopic salvation, view of salvation, you know what myopia is? It's nearsightedness. A person who's nearsighted uh, has, can see things near, but they can't see things far. It's a very short-sighted salvation. But the great salvation of the Bible not only provides us with... Uh, freedom from the penalty of sin, that's satisfied, but it also provides us real power, uh, real victory over sin, over the power of sin. And finally, if we hold to the idea that sanctification is somehow still imperfect in this life and unfinished, then that ultimately gives the glory to me, not God. Because what is my focus? My focus is, well, i got to get more holy, got to get more good, got to stop doing this, stop doing that. Me, 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 me. No focus on God. Do you know what it is to give glory to someone or something else that belongs to God alone? That's called idolatry. Now, I know these are strong words, but my friend, I will not back away from them. This is what the Bible teaches. And I have more that I want to say about this subject. In some senses, I feel like I'm taking a sledgehammer of the truth of God's Word and smashing these idols of false teaching on the subject of sanctification. Somehow, you know, we've got to smash apart this false notion that our sanctification is in any way imperfect, incomplete, You know, I keep bringing up the Westminster Confession of Faith. There's a lot about that confession that's good and biblical, but it is so wrong, and it's become the de facto teaching of the church. It's infected the thinking of so many. It has crippled so many from walking the victorious life and being productive and fruitful in the kingdom of God. And so my passion in this thing for myself and for you is to live in what God has already given us, this glorious freedom, this rich, great salvation, which also includes a rich and free and perfect sanctification already done. My friend, the reason why you can't add anything to sanctification is simple. It's that it is already perfectly done by Christ. To add something is to insult Christ and his finished work. It's to count the blood of the covenant by which we are sanctified a common profane thing. Hebrews 10, 29. To add something to Christ is idolatry. The reason is that the finished work of Jesus Christ, the reason why this is the case is the finished work of Christ and the basis of grace is inextricably tied to God's glory. I believe very strongly that God gives grace chiefly to us because his glory is maximized. Grace is purely a one-way deal. It comes straight from the heart of a holy, loving God. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with him. And I believe that if 
that that God is glorified most by the grace he gives. And my friend, there was so much grace that was already done through the person of Jesus Christ walking 33 years in this life, in this world, fully, totally obeying the Father from the heart in thought, word, and deed. That that grace given through the Lord Jesus Christ went to a place of punishment and humiliation and ultimately to death upon the cruel, rugged cross. Not just physical punishment, but he also endured in his person the full thrust of the wrath of God due from my sin, your sin. And uh, that suffering, that offering was a propitiation. It satisfied the wrath of God. You know, I think that more people in the church need to sit down and carefully study the book of Hebrews because the book of Hebrews makes the case abundantly clear about Jesus and the perfection of his perf- per- the perfection of his person and the perfection of his finished work. If I told you that something was done, that it was finished, why would you add something to it? The Bible talks in Hebrews 3 and 4 about a rest and making every effort to enter into the rest. There's really two main reasons why a person rests. Reason number one is they're tired. Does God get tired? Nah. The second reason why a person rests is because they're finished. The work is done. If someone builds a building and they get all the work done, then they're finished. You don't need to build more. You don't need to add more. Now, obviously, that which is constructed in this life is imperfect. But is the salvation that we have imperfect? Does it need to be improved? No. I know I'm saying the same thing over and over and over and over again. The Scripture says it over and over and over again. And may I say, study the Word. Again, I challenge you as I did from the very beginning that uh, I urge you to do as I have done and study every single instance of the word sanctification and its related words in the New Testament. It will change your life. It will revolutionize your, your life. But don't rely on your human understanding to get it. Take the Word of God. Absorb the Word of God. Study the Word of God. But go to the Spirit of God. As Paul did in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 17, and ask him, to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, and that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. That Greek word for enlightened is photizo. We get our word photo from it. It means to turn a light on. That the eyes of our heart, the light would be turned on so that we could see. You know, when you have a dark room and you turn on one light, you can see many things, right? So that's what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God turns on a light in our hearts, casting the darkness away, which that darkness represents not evil or sin. It represents just not knowing, not seeing, and enables us to see. Ephesians chapter 1 says three things. First of all, that we may know the hope of our calling. Second, that we may know what are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints. And third, what is his exceedingly great power toward us who believe. 
You see, my friend, when we dig more into what the Bible has to say about this great salvation, it's so much more than forgiveness. It's life. God did all that he did in his son through his death to reconcile us to himself, to bring us into this relationship, to call us sons. And then there is the saving life of Jesus. Oh, the Christian life is so much more than we typically think. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, he said of the devil that he has come to steal, kill, and destroy. What a great deal, huh? But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. We go from a condition in, a, in an existence of, of death to an existence of life. The problem with the church today is we teach death, 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 dead works. Dead works is what you do for God. I'm going to tell you, friend, that's dead. That's old covenant stuff. That's the ministry of death and condemnation. What God is interested in is not at all what you do for him. He is interested in what you do from him, out of him. Jesus, who is your life? Romans chapter 5, verse 10 says, If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through his death, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved through his life. So the great reality of our new covenant faith, what's in the Bible, is that Jesus has done it all. He's accomplished it all. The position of faith says, yes, it's done. It's completed. It's perfect. I'm going to enter into that rest. I'm going to believe. And and applied here to the subject of sanctification, we end the controversy with God and we throw out that bad theology that sanctification is somehow imperfect and incomplete in this life, that it's a process, and we embrace what the Bible says, no matter what other people say, and we say, it is done. Thank you, Father. Thank you for a perfect Savior. Thank you that Jesus is my sanctification. Thank you that he did all the sanct- that I am sanctified and perfected forever. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we praise you and we worship you. God, this is so, so good. It almost seems too good to be true. But, Father, we know it's so good that it is true. It is based on the truth of your word. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for the Bible that speaks to us. Thank you, Lord, for 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 just making it so clear to us about Jesus. Thank you for your son. Father, thank you for your heart of love that gave him for us. Oh, Lord, that we wouldn't perish, that we wouldn't continue in this condition of death, but that we would be brought into a condition of abundant and eternal and everlasting life. Oh, God, you're so good. Father, take your word, and I pray that by the Spirit you would open our understanding that you would help us to see, that you would help us to see Jesus, that we may know him better, and that we may know the hope of our calling, the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, and your exceedingly great power toward us who believe. Father, I thank you that you are able to do exceedingly far above all that we can ask or even imagine according to your power that works within us. 
in Jesus' name, amen.